Welcome to Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. I'm Janine Jackson. This week on Counterspin, the Supreme Court ruled that federal agents can remove the razor wire that Texas state officials had set up along parts of the U.S.-Mexico border. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said that that, quote, allows Biden to continue his illegal effort to aid the foreign invasion of America, close quote. Elite news media, for their part, suggest we seek a hallowed middle ground between those two worldviews. Corporate media are filled with debate about the best way to handle the border crisis. But what if there isn't a border crisis so much as an absence of historical understanding, of empathy, of community resourcing, and of critical challenge to media and political narratives, including that of President Biden's call to allow access for, quote, those who deserve to be here, close quote. We'll hear from Aaron Thorne. He's senior staff attorney at the Beyond Borders program of the Texas Civil Rights Project. That's coming up, but first, a quick look back at some recent press. A huge demonstration was held in the nation's capital on January 13th to speak out against Israel's violent siege of Gaza and to condemn Biden's weapon shipments and diplomatic backing for Israel. As Dave Lindorf reported for FAIR.org, the Times, despite having a huge borough in Washington, D.C., did not mention the event. Estimates of the turnout, which included Palestinians, Americans, including Jewish Americans of all ages and races from all parts of the country, are hard to come by because neither the Washington Metro Police nor the National Park Service provide crowd estimates. But it's clear from photo images of Freedom Plaza that there was what Newsweek called a massive demonstration spilling over into adjacent Pershing Park, with still more thousands of protesters continuing to arrive along Pennsylvania Avenue. By size alone, the rally deserved a story in the Times. But it wasn't just one isolated U.S. demonstration. It was part of a global call for protest against the ongoing assault on Gaza, which by January 13th had killed nearly 24,000 people and harmed and displaced thousands of others. Times editors were surely aware that large pro-Palestinian demonstrations were occurring around the U.S. and around the world. On top of the numbers and the global dimensions, this was the second mass action in D.C. in two months. In both cases, the lead organizers were Palestinian or U.S. Muslim pro-Palestinian organizations. Both demos prominently featured activists from Jewish Voice for Peace, making it a historically meaningful alliance between Muslim and Jewish Americans. Surely all of this deserved an article in the nation's leading newspaper. As Julie Holler wrote for FAIR.org, if the New York Times post-New Hampshire analysis is the standard, we're in trouble. The looming contest between two presidents and two Americas 
was the headline of a piece by the paper's senior White House correspondent, Peter Baker. The subhead was, quote, the general election matchup that seems likely between President Biden and former President Donald Trump is about fundamentally disparate visions of the nation, close quote. That one of those disparate visions involves an open embrace of authoritarianism is the story. But Baker went hard on the both sidesing, presenting a picture of two Americas that just don't see eye to eye. Biden, Baker tells us, quote, leads an America that, as he sees it, embraces diversity, democratic institutions, and traditional norms, that considers government at its best to be a force for good in society. Mr. Trump leads an America where, in his view, the system has been corrupted by dark conspiracies, and the undeserving are favored over hardworking, everyday people. Close quote. Democracy and Trump's explicit threat to it don't come up again in the piece. Instead, Baker blames the people because, you see, quote, Americans do not just disagree with each other, they live in different realities, each with its own self-reinforcing internet and media ecosphere. The January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol was either an outrageous insurrection in service of an unconstitutional power grab by a proto-fascist, or a legitimate protest that may have gotten out of hand but has been exploited by the other side and turned patriots into hostages, close quote. In this news-from-nowhere view, the language is crafted in a carefully symmetrical way to make clear that the New York Times has expressed no particular point of view. It's deep and dangerous that the so-called paper of record is too spineless to pick a side between reality and dangerous fiction. And we're just getting started. You're listening to Counterspin, brought to you each week by the Media Watch Group Fair. Many see a looming constitutional crisis in Texas, where, as the New York Times put it, Governor Greg Abbott has been, quote, testing the legal limits of what a state can do to enforce immigration law, close quote, with things like installing razor wire along the banks of the Rio Grande and physically barring Border Patrol agents from responding to reports of migrants in distress. In one case two weeks ago of a woman and two children who subsequently drowned. The tone of much corporate news reporting outside of gleefully racist outlets like Fox, is critical of Texas's defiance of federal law, but conveys an idea that, yes, there's a crisis at the border, but this isn't the way to handle it. But what if their definition of crisis employs some of the same assumptions and frameworks that drive Abbott's actions? Precisely how big a leap is it from Biden's promise that if he gets a deal for money to Ukraine, he would shut down the border right now and fix it quickly, to razor wire in the Rio Grande. Defining a crisis shapes the ideas of appropriate response. So is there a crisis at the U.S. southern border and for whom? 
We're joined now by Aaron Thorne. He's senior staff attorney at the Beyond Borders program of the Texas Civil Rights Project. He joins us now by phone from the Rio Grande Valley. Welcome to Counterspin, Aaron Thorne. Thank you. Well, I want to ask about U.S. immigration policy broadly, but all eyes are on Texas now for a reason. And from a distance, it just looks wild. Um, As an attorney, as a Texan, uh, what are the legal stakes that you see here? You know, it feels a little bit like uncharted territory, even if it has historical echoes. But how alarmed should we be legally about what's happening right now? Yeah, I think that is the million-dollar question for all of us. Seeing this issue bubble up from the ground, frankly, as a slow boil from a couple of years ago when Governor Abbott began to establish the Operation Lone Star program, in which he spent billions of Texas taxpayer money to send troops and put a ton of resources into this more state hardening of the U.S.-Mexico border. We've seen an increasing, frankly, level of aggression of the state towards not only migrants, right, who are the ones who are caught in the day-to-day violence of the being caught up in the razor wire, being met with officers, things like that, but the aggression from the state to the federal government has increased so intensely over the last year or so, it is difficult to say that this constitutional crisis between what a state and the federal government can do, it's hard to say that that is overblown. I would say that Texas is absolutely challenging the limits of federalism to see just how far he can go. And immigration is a perfect vehicle for this kind of test. How far can I push the federal government to act the way that I want the federal government to do on things like immigration, on things like any other sort of of federal issue where the feds are the ones who are responsible under our system? How far can I go? Immigration is controversial. It's very sensitive to a lot of folks. A lot of folks do not know a lot about it. And so the images that come out, as you mentioned, are basically chaotic. But this has ramifications for something much beyond immigration. So when I think of the constitutional crisis, I think about it in this larger sense of What does this really mean for federalism in this country, right? If the federal government is not able to stand up and assert its dominion over anything, immigration is just the hot topic now, what does that say for the government of our country? And the next time another state doesn't like what the United States does on say, environmental regulations or other things that are cross-border or or national, how far can that state take their agenda? These are questions baked into our political system, don't have any solid answers, and Texas is running into that gap to assert that the state, at the end of the day, can assert itself over the federal government when it wants to. So it's important to stay on top of, but for a lot of folks, 
It's just kind of a story in the paper. It's about feds versus states, and it's kind of about red states and blue states, and I think it's a little bit abstract, but it's not abstract or potential or theoretical. There are communities of human beings, as you've pointed out, not just at the border, but elsewhere, that are being impacted. And I just wonder, how would you maybe have us redefine the scope of impact so that folks could understand that we're not talking about a few border communities? Yeah, absolutely. I think one angle of the story that we don't always see, it's been heartbreaking to see, for example, the state's rhetoric of come and cut it, the very aggressive, we have a right to defend ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. The, in my opinion, overblown claims about just how many cartel members are among people, just how many drugs they're finding on people, for example, the very vast majority of folks who are showing up to the U.S.-Mexico border are folks who are in need of protection. They are in need of safety. They are in need of stability. That is the very vast majority of people. And so something that does not often show up in these stories that is particularly pertinent right now is, let's be clear, Texas is fighting for its right to lay concertina wire so that people can get caught in it for hours and get injured and sort of languish there as punishment for trying to seek safety. And what they want to do is push people back into Mexico where they are kidnapped, assaulted, raped, worse, as sort of punishment for wanting to seek safety. Like that is what Texas is asserting its right to do. That's what the Trump administration's primary goal was on the U.S.-Mexico border. That's what Greg Abbott's primary goal is at the U.S.-Mexico border. And we don't talk about that as a country of what that actually looks like every day, what that looks like on the ground. What we talk about are U.S. communities. We talk about people taking our jobs. We talk about the fentanyl that's coming in, all real issues that are not touched, not controlled by people who are desperate and are trying to seek safety. But to me, that is one of the biggest holes that I always see in the stories that we don't really take our right to defend our border, but from what? As a Texan, I don't think what Texas is doing on the border day to day will actually improve the lives of Texas. Right. We are spending billions of dollars of our own tax money for this sort of political ploy that we are improving the lives of Texas while we are like stripping Texans off of Medicaid faster than any other state in the country. Texans are very strapped in an economy where inflation is still an issue, right? And nothing that we're doing at our border is going to affect that. So we don't talk about where the rubber meets the road for basically anybody in this story. It's just simply uh, in the political cacophony. When you were on ABC News in December talking about SB4, which you can talk about, the, the setup talked about a tidal wave of people Coming over the southern border, let's be clear, we're talking about the southern border, right? The strain on U.S. resources being unprecedented, and all of these people were crossing the border illegally. And that was the intro for you. And in media generally, migration itself is sort of pre-framed as a problem, as a crisis. But 
we haven't always seen it that way, and we don't have to see it that way, do we? I mean, we kind of need a paradigm shift, it seems like, here. I think you're absolutely right. And one thing that I sometimes will tell people is take a step back and really think about it. Migration is one of the most constant things in the entirety of human existence. This is one of the most fundamentally human things that someone can do. If you are suffering in one place for whatever reason, X number of reasons throughout literal human history, you migrate to a place where you will do better. Let's not let the federal government get off the hook. The idea that you can law enforce your way out of human instinct and human behavior is absurd, and it's been very present in both, obviously, Texas, but the federal government's policies on the U.S.-Mexico border for at least 30 years, since at least the early 90s, right? This idea that there is such a strain on resources, but yet we have a blank check for enforcement-only policies, that if we are just a little more violent and a little more aggressive towards people trying to come in to get more stability in their lives, that we can prevent something that is a fundamentally human behavior is absurd. And we need to have more of a discussion about why we're sitting here 30 years later. And we're at a point where if we lay a hundred more yards of concertina wire and we cut up a few more women and children, they will stop coming. That, that is the argument we're having now. And it's absurd. So I absolutely agree that without this paradigm shift of what are we doing, we will continue down this really ugly road of how violent are we willing to get with people? That, that's the question we're at in 2024. Yeah. I harbor hatred for corporate media for many reasons, but one of them is this PBS NewsHour Real politic for the smart people that I saw recently, which basically said, calm down. Biden is just, quote, seeking to disarm criticism of his handling of migration at the border as immigration becomes an increasing matter of concern to Americans in the lead up to the presidential election, close quote. So we're supposed to just think of it as part of a chess game and I guess, ignore the actual human impact of what these moves are going to be. But I, I just really resent this media coverage that says this is just shadows on the cave wall. It's really about the election. You don't really need to worry about it. I just wonder what you would like to see news media, well, I guess I'm saying do less of, but what could they do more of that would move this issue forward in a humane way? Yeah, I mean, hearkening back to the last question about a paradigm shift. I think as somebody who has done this work on the ground for many years, started doing this in the middle of the Trump administration, now has seen this through the Biden administration, something that we often remark to each other on the ground is that so much of the Biden administration's policies have the exact same effect as what the Trump administration was doing. Mm -hmm just in a less visceral way. And so when that is raised to folks, the same exact, he's having the same exact effect on the daily lives of migrants, people who would be outraged and out in the streets to protest against Donald Trump, look at that 
the Biden administration having the exact same fact saying, well, he's trying his best. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea being, right, that it still boils down to the politics of it all. I just don't like this person who's in office, and so anything that he does, he breathes wrong, I'm going to criticize him. But yet somebody who has the same effect, it really brings to bear how many folks in this country, this is a theoretical issue for them. When the rubber meets the road, we don't have a great track record of being truly empathetic and truly smart on migration. It's a political football's in in the right hands, and so I'm going to just agree with whatever administration does, and and I'm certainly not going to critique him, is not the way that we really get to actual solutions on immigration in this country. Well, are there any policies that are in the works or about to be in their works? Is there anything that folks can be pulling for, either in Texas or nationally? You know, that that also is a really a really complicated answer I'll, to you. I'll bet it is. <laughs> uh, but, what, <laughs> but one thing one thing I will say I always raise for folks to think about the guest worker program in this country. And it's complicated to say in a soundbody type of answer because labor has its own issues, right? Labor is very exploited in the United States. And so sometimes I don't want to have this discussion about bringing migrants here just to be exploited by abusive employers, right? That's not the answer. However, it is true that economics is one of the biggest drivers of migration trends over the last couple of centuries that we can see, right? Bad economies in other parts of the world encourage people to migrate to the U.S., and a bad economy in the U.S. actually encourages people to go home. Like, Mm -hmm. the the numbers are there. And so that is absolutely true that a lot of people are coming to seek stability in their lives, right, or in the lives of people who are still at home. And yet the United States has done everything in its power to either gum up the works of its guest worker program, slashing visas, making things more difficult for whatever reasons. And we are still sitting here with the reality that a significant slice of people would love to come to the United States, make money and go home. To me, that seems like a no brainer that both parties could get behind of Let's confront that reality. And if we do not want to absorb these people into our society, which I have personally an objection to in the first place, but if we don't want to do that, let's allow people to come in, benefit us, benefit themselves, and then return. There is a significant slice of people who would like to do that. And we do have guest worker visa program, but Every year, we make it more difficult, or we don't want to expand it. Um, An expanded guest worker program, I think, is a step in the right direction if we don't want so many people showing up at the U.S.-Mexico border saying, okay, I have no other option, viable options. Let me take the way that I need to to protect myself and, and my family. Ari Paul wrote for FAIR.org recently about how 
news media. He was writing about the New York Times, but they weren't alone. They make this fake consensus. They had a front page piece that said, Biden faces pressure on immigration and not just from Republicans. And it was the idea that even Democratic mayors and leaders are agreeing. Too many South Americans are trying to get into this land of milk and honey. And what that reporting involves is manipulating statements of local officials who are saying, we want to welcome immigrants, but we don't have the resources, and turning that into nobody wants immigrants in their community. And I guess my big beef, among others, with that is that media do us a disservice by confusing people about what we believe and what we are capable of and what we really think. And it just kind of breaks my heart because it tells people their neighbors think differently than they do. It misleads us about public opinion about the welcoming of immigrants, you know. Um, And I guess I should have put a question on that, but I can't think of one except to say that when media say, When communities say we need more resources to address this, that is not the same as them saying migrants out. Having worked in immigration now for many years, immigration is is such a difficult topic because underneath of the banner of immigration are so many other debates about U.S. society and culture and race class, our place in the world, right? Foreign policy. The list goes on and on and on. Immigration hits on so many of those realities. And it harkens back to many other different types of groups of folks can tell you about people of color, for example, having white colleagues who say prejudiced things until they, like, know a person of color, right? Mm -hmm. Or they say very xenophobic things until they know an immigrant. And I think that this is so deeply challenging because people are stepping to this without having any actual access, easy access, to folks who have gone through this process. And specifically, like, on class and also on the way that the United States government works, right? I don't know the exact figure, but DHS's budget is colossal, And Texas is spending billions of dollars with its own money. And so everybody's stepping to this debate of whether this person should, quote-unquote, have not broken the law. But we have gotten to this place by spending all of this money we could use welcoming people, putting welcoming infrastructure in place. We're, We're using it on enforcement. No wonder we don't have any money to welcome people into our communities, and that's frustrating and hurtful to you. And then also you're, like, stepping with all of these biases because that's a real challenge we have in our society. Yeah, no wonder it's very easy to point fingers at that person. It is the culmination of all of these other real, like, societal ills that we grapple with every single day. No other issue hits on so many at the same time. All right, then. We've been speaking with Aaron Thorne. He's senior staff attorney at the Beyond Borders program at the Texas Civil Rights Project. Aaron Thorne, thank you so much for joining us this week on Counterspin. Yes, thank you. (music) 
And that's it for Counterspin for this week. Counterspin is produced by FAIR, the national media watch group based in New York. If you missed part of today's show or you'd like to hear previous shows, you can find shows and transcripts on our website, fair.org. The website's also the place to learn about our newsletter, Extra. The show is engineered by Riley Bear. I'm Janine Jackson. Thanks for listening to Counterspin. Counterspin.